a complex world brimming with new ambitions, the best leaders create the best workplaces. This is the Oil & Gas Digital Doers podcast, where you can hear real stories about digital capabilities and a culture of empowerment with your host, Joanne Meyer. So welcome to the Digital Doers podcast. And this is a part of the Oil & Gas Global Network's community of podcasts. And this community is the largest podcast community for the for the oil and gas industry. Um, and we're told that uh, I think it's uh, maybe later this year, we, we expect the Oil and Gas Global Network, or OGGN as we fondly call it, um, will download like their 2 millionth, or I may, maybe, I'm, and this is terrible to be off by 30%, or their 3 millionth episode, whatever, it's a big number. And so we're really proud of that. Uh, the Digital Doers podcast is just one of 13 or 14 that you can find at OGGN.com. And so check out those others. But today you're here on the Digital Doers podcast. And I'm uh, really excited today to be talking with someone about things that fly in the air, both manned and unmanned, um, and how many companies are getting a lot of value from that. So I'm really excited for that conversation. And before we get to that, I want to, first of all, say thank you to all of you who pushed all the right buttons on a keyboard somewhere so you could join us today. Um, I also want to, of course, say thank you to HPE. HPE is our sponsor for this, this podcast. And HPE um, is, has a new, a relatively new platform called GreenLake. And it's all about bringing... Um, it's all about edge to cloud. Their edge to cloud platform is their GreenLake cloud uh, platform. And it's all about bringing that cloud experience to you, wherever your data and applications reside. So at your edges, at co-locations, at your data centers, wherever it is, they want you to have that really great experience at being able to access all that data um, and, and, and applications and do what you need to do with it. And, you know, HPE has the world's uh, largest portfolio of on-premise cloud services, and they have over 12 years of consumption-based experience. So go check out hpe.com, take a look at their GreenLake platform. Um, it's the cloud that comes to you. Additionally, I want to be sure and make the point that, you know, HPE has a whole group of dedicated and experienced oil and gas uh, solution folks. So if you get a chance, go take a look at that and, and see how they can help you. Um, the other thing, of course, I want to say thank you to um, OGGN folks, they all the post-production folks and all the folks that help me be able to have these interesting conversations with people like Hadley. So I'm here today with Hadley Doyle Gonzalez, and she's coming to us from um, Florida. And so um, I do want to hear a little bit first uh, how about Ian, and then I want you, please, if you would, Hadley is the president and the founder of SMG Delivering Data. And so she's going to tell us a little bit about how she got into this. And also, we'd like to hear just a little bit about um, if you were impacted at all by Ian. Hi, Joanne. Thank you so much. 
Um, man, that uh, Green Lake sounds pretty pretty tempting, even for big data folks like us. Um, so yeah, we're we're based here in the Sunshine State of Florida, uh, which is considered one of the most friendly uh, general aviation communities around. Um, so a lot of aircraft activity. Um, we've been flying in the skies uh, commercially for over 22 years. A lot of that has been focused on data collection. Um, so speaking to Hurricane Ian, so that was absolutely um, somewhat expected, right, uh, for us Florida folks, um, and always uh, still astonishing at the level of damage that a hurricane can create. Um, so what we do in these situations, we actually uh, have a few separate jobs that we do during a, a storm response. And for us, it starts before the hurricane hits um, and then directly after. Um, so we will go in and pre-map uh, the expected landfall and the surrounding areas and directly after the storm passes, usually it's about six to 12 hours when the winds die down enough where it's safe for us to go out and chase the hurricane, as we say, we immediately start to recollect that same area using our LIDAR and high imagery sensors. And we can create a change detection map um, in less than 12 hours. So wow. our, our national infrastructure that we all really depend on specifically our power grid, um, our, our uh, access roadways that all of our first responders need to be able to utilize. We quickly uh, assess pretty much the extent of the damage and how to restore as fast as possible. Um, we've had way too many years of experience doing this. Um, we've responded to some of the largest hurricanes in the nation, uh, all of the large hurricanes in the state of Florida over the past seven years. Um, so we are we are quite uh, experienced in such a um, a trying time, and um, Ian was definitely um, one of the one of the most destructive. Uh, but what was intriguing about Ian was how quickly it it rapidly intensified. So with Andrew, uh, which which we didn't respond to, but we lived through. It was a long, uh, a longer uh, expectation of how powerful the storm was. This storm rapidly intensified from a Cat One to a Cat Four in a matter of, uh, I believe, less than 24 hours. Maybe it was 48 hours, but it was a short amount of time, and that's what really caught a lot of people off guard. So um, we are still there, um, assessing a lot of the feeders. Um, some of the the wind-specific damage caused a lot of uh, damage to the power grid. Uh, for certain neighborhoods. So we are still there assessing um, those damages so the power company can get back to, to work and providing power. Wow. So I didn't, I didn't realize, I mean, I knew that um, one of your clients, I guess we can say, is uh, mm -hmm. Florida Power and Light. That's correct, yep. And so I assume they have a very large grid and infrastructure in Florida. Yeah. Um, so when you, but you also mentioned Hadley something about like the roads, you know, just the kind of the transportation infrastructure. Right. Um, when you respond to that, are you also kind of doing this for your clients, or are you also kind of providing a a service to I don't know FEMA or whoever responds from the government standpoint? 
So in, in our world, we collect um, highest resolution, highest accuracy data. And we do this um, pretty much as a result of the eight past years of, of true data collection. Um, but what we never want somebody to say is that they can't use the data because it's not uh, high resolution enough or is it not accurate enough. So once we collect data, and a lot of the data we collect, um, we do on our own. So we do it outside of, of any kind of contract. And what that allows us to do is then go to NOAA and go to FEMA, go to insurance companies, um, and be able to provide that data outside um, of typical vehicles, right, in, in an emergency situation. Um, a lot of the red tape and the long, you know, long, long um, time it takes to get uh, uh, data to the right people um, is not as difficult. So we provide that data. So specifically, we had flown the barrier islands um, that were affected. So Sanibel, Captiva, uh, like the Fort Myers Beach area. And we have been able to provide that data um, to governmental agencies who really needed it. And we did it very quickly. And, and obviously that's the whole goal is to minimize the effects of a storm response as, as quickly as possible. Well, when I asked about Ian, I will tell you, um, I had no idea that I was <laughs> going to hear this great, you know, uh, be able to have this great conversation about the response efforts. I just was thinking you could say your home survived and all that. But <laughs> that's really interesting to understand how, you can pivot, for lack of a better word, very quickly from perhaps what your base business is to also providing this data and, and providing kind of a response service. That's that's really yeah. interesting. Well, they, they kind of are um, hand in hand with our what we call blue sky versus gray sky uh, uh, work. So blue sky is what we plan for, everything that we do on a day-to-day -day basis. Gray sky is obviously the unplanned, but um, in our blue sky work, we do build these baseline digital twins uh, at survey grade. So, um, and we do this specifically for robust asset industries. So uh, pipeline, um, poles and wires, power utility, rail, roadway, coastline. So any, any industry that really has um, scaled assets uh, we provide these baseline survey grade digital twins. And where this comes uh, really important when we talk about gray sky is that we already have a, a digital version of what really exists. So when in reality that system is disturbed to any level of extent, we can, can quickly compare um, using specifically our LIDAR point to point comparison of what's been disturbed and to what extent. So yeah. it's really, um, that's that's the quick uh, approach to how we can get this this change detection map so quickly in a, in a post-storm disaster. So that's, that's really fascinating. So just say a little bit more about the company because you fly both manned and unmanned um, uh, vessels or aircraft, <laughs> I guess. Yes, yeah, so... Um, I mean, we're, we're aviation geeks uh, through and through, and, um, you know, we've always been on the manned side commercially. And in 2014, 
I really started noticing this, you know, trend of unmanned systems that we call drones. And they started off uh, as toys and, and hobbyist type things. And what's really cool is that the Wii controller, the Nintendo Wii controller, had um, really the mechanism inside of it that then gave way to drones and how drones can now be so stabilized uh, in the air. Um, so, you know, fun things cause uh, new industries um, to develop. But we saw this happening and uh, we kind of had a split split uh, take on it. Half of the company was, oh, no, unmanned will never take over. And I'm like, but, you know, when you can get so close to an asset, you know, this this is really, really great technology. So in 2015, we became one of the um in the top 20 uh, first FAA legal commercial drone operators. And we were this tiny, tiny company uh, in a sea of Google and State Farm and Amazon and all these huge corporations um, also had their, it was called a part 107 at the time. Uh, they also had their, oh, sorry, it was called a section 333 at the time. And they had gotten their section 333 and here's this little company SMG. Um, and we just were very close to the industry. We grew up with it. It's still in somewhat of an infancy stage. Uh, so we were just a very early adopter of it. And as our clients got used to having all of this very close to asset uh, data, um, they said, hey, can you fly longer? Can you fly our entire network? And drones are limited by their power and the weight. Um, the FAA has um, rules around the size of drones that can fly and the distance, right, for, for safety of not only people on the ground, but other aircraft in the air, manned aircraft. Um, so there's a, a slower adoption by the FAA, very rightfully so. Um, but it made this gap in early adopters to drone technology and the really the scale of the industry. And we realized that we could fill that gap with our manned aircraft. So we took the benefits of drones and their great sensors and the, the ability to have very accurate data. And we modified um, our aircraft and the way we carry these sensors uh, to bring the benefits of drones to now the benefits of manned aircraft being able to scale. Wow. So that's, you know, that's really, uh, I, I really appreciated the your your honesty about the fact that perhaps everybody um, sitting at SMG didn't go oh yes 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 drones drones um, yeah. because I've had some conversations with some really like young folks uh, mm -hmm. that are in the industry and doing some really cool things with technology and then I've had conversations with people more my age yeah um, and one of the interesting things is that that a young man brought to my attention or when, as he was talking, I finally really appreciated that part of the challenge that some of the younger folks face and feel mm -hmm. when they're working in very well-established companies is this notion of, of, like you said, that, that they look at technology as, Hey, there's this cool new technology. Let me play around with it and see what we can do with it. Right. 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 Joanne, comes up, right? The digital immigrant. I come up uh, uh, through the kind of the ranks of, 
oh, I have a problem. Let me see how I can find a technological solution to solve the problem. You kind of see the difference, right? Yeah. The folks in SMG that were saying, hey, this is a new technology. Let's see. You know, that's very different than probably the folks that were like, yeah, yeah, that's never going to happen. So I, you know, even in a small company, it sounds like, which SMG is compared to, as you said, like the Googles or the State Farms or whatever. Yeah. Um. There's still, you know, just this different shift in how to get benefit and value from technology. Well, and the, and the same, uh, you know, split mind frame, split house, however you want to call it, the same um, mentalities exist in industry, right? In these big companies that you have internal innovation teams trying to operationalize new new technology within big companies, Um and what nobody, you know, wants to do or really would logically do is completely shift, uh, you know, over a short amount of time from one to the other. So we see a lot of these parallel um, approaches solving the same problem within industries. And there's a moment of even when large companies and corporations start to start to really believe in the digital transformation because that's really what our data does it digitally transforms physical systems and once companies start to just open their their mind a little bit and start to look at these new digital systems there's still a moment of trust right so so what the digital system is telling me I don't know if I trust it. I'm still going to go to the field and and check it for myself. And we find that that trust is kind of the same for every different business unit. And it's about three to five months of whoever it is in the business unit saying, okay, this is what the digital system says. I'm going to go to the field and check the physical. And after about three months of seeing that it's the same, uh, same metrics, whatever they're looking at, it's the same. They just start to trust the digital. And then the physical, you know, going to the site is an afterthought at that point. It's a mm-hmm. oh, it's almost an inconvenience, right, to have to go to the to yeah. the site. So so it's understandable. It's exactly, you know, how any any change management should happen. Um, and I mean, we just went through it on our own change management in our in our own business. Um, but what's interesting is that we actually came back uh, to manned aircraft instead of just fully shifting. So. Uh, we're we're very agnostic as far as how we collect our data. Uh, we actually don't just use airplanes or drones. We uh, SMG stands for Sky Mobile and Ground, and we collect data from the ground. We collect tabular data. Um, we do appreciate the scalability and the accuracy that we get um, with our with our manned aircraft, and eventually our are drones that look like manned aircraft. So we are agnostic. And I think that that's a huge advantage um, really for the data quality that we have. Excellent. So um, I'm glad you said that about what SMG, um, it means sky. Mobile and ground. Sky, mobile and ground. So it was all about the data as opposed to just about flying things. Absolutely. Um, You know, we hear about this digital uh, revolution and digital transformation. And over the last eight years, and I say eight years, I mean, we've been collecting data for over 20. um, But really, in the last eight years, 
have we seen these different pillars of, of industries and how they really where they are in their digital transformation. Um, we've noticed that some of the earliest adopters were, you know, these very uh, asset heavy companies. So specifically the power companies, they have poles and wires, and that is a huge business for them and very heavy assets. And most utilities, very much even so today, most utilities have no idea really what they have in the field um, and are very reactionary. Um, and, you know, when you talk about a digital twin, and I know it's a fad, you know, a, a big term, but when we talk about a digital twin, it's really just taking the uncertainty out of physical systems um, for cost savings and to be more efficient and to really shift how a business looks at its physical assets from being reactive uh, to being proactive. And it's a real shift in how physically robust companies operate. And I mean, the digital transformation is well, well underway. You have these early adopters, uh, the power industries, pipeline, rail were very early and they have advanced and they, they are very close to fully operationalizing their digital twins. Um, you have other industry who is now really realizing the importance of, of digital twins. Um, but they, they lack a few things. They don't know really where to start um, or they don't have the right people. Um, and then you have companies who also understand the importance of, of the digital uh, adoption within their company, but they know that they'll never do it themselves. So we've realized that there's a few well disparities uh, between all these types of pillars that, you know, data specifically geospatial data, uh, is extremely expensive to get. And it's, it's not made available. And even if you can afford to get it, it's extremely expensive to make sense of it, and then even more expensive to deploy uh, what the data is telling you to do. So there are some disparities uh, across uh, all industries in regards to data and digital twins. But there's also some commonalities. Um, once companies really realize that that digital twins and the digital transformation is not a, a want but more of a need, um, they always realize that you start by having data. Um, data has a, an array of standardizations, resolutions, types. So there's no standardization around it, which causes more problem in the end for companies trying to understand how to utilize big data in their in their internal operations. And we've seen this, we've we've seen it building, we've seen it happening. And um, you know, we we've created what we think is somewhat of a solution uh, to the negatives that big data causes within a company. Big data really is supposed to make companies safer. Uh, more, more effective um, and run at higher margins. But because there's, there's no true kind of steps of how to introduce big data, it, it becomes a big burden. So we've, we've created a platform uh, called Darius to help minimize a lot of that 
um, for each stage of, of where companies are in their digital transformation. So I think that's a, a great um, kind of segue, like you say, into this notion that you guys, SMG, uh, you know, you do this um, very high tech uh, data gathering. Mm-hmm. Um, and But the reality is that that data is only so good as it provides some insights that it's actually usable, accessible, helpful to exactly. clients. And so that seems to be that you have this product or this service or system yes. called Darius. And that's what it's all about is actually uh, using that data. So tell me, one, tell us just a little more. I think you've mentioned them. But it's utilities, it's rails. Yes. I know I'm missing some other industries here, but but also tell me what are some of the questions that you help your clients answer with the data that you gather? And tell us, and then also hit on some of those industry sectors that I've missed by just saying rail and utility. Yeah. So um, so really, it is infrastructure and infrastructure at scale. Uh, power industry, so poles and wires, even their substations, um, rail, pipeline, um, telecommunications, um, coastline, and anything linear and infrastructure uh, is are the, the industries that really gravitate towards our data. And throughout these industries, there are what we classify as two types. There's tech savvy, which means that they've already have internal uh, teams handling a lot of the data analytics. And then there's tech hungry, which are companies who don't really have the teams, but want the insights and the, um, well, the, the main questions and problems that we answer for them are what they have, where it exists, and what's the health of those assets. That's always step number one. And you'd be very surprised at um, how much these companies don't know about their own assets. And it's a very awakening moment when, and it's, and it's a relief too, when they can say, okay, we, ha- we know that we have you know, this metric of assets and these are in good health. And once we get that baseline, um, we can then start to project out you know, financial uh, metrics as far as making these assets last longer. Um, a big, a big problem that we've been able to solve recently for some of our our largest clients are the the cost of data collection has always been uh, an outsourced cost, um, an operational and maintenance cost, and it does not do well in their balance sheet. As we work with their data, we work with their internal teams, uh, we help to create the algorithms um, based on their past data collection. And we just don't collect data once, we collect it multiple times. So we build this history per asset. And as we build those uh, algorithms, we now can project those to future. And as we build these algorithms, industries realize specifically the power companies that this is now 
you know, creating a, a longer life cycle for these assets. And all of a sudden it becomes a capital expenditure. So they've, they've seen the, the way to take an O&M cost off of their balance sheet, operationalize it, and now it's a capital expenditure and they're getting much more useful life out of their assets. Um, and at the end result, they're making their business uh, more profitable, more efficient, and they're providing safer, better, uh, really power to their, to their end clients. Um, as far as a generalized, generalized problems we solve, and this will speak to all industries, um, a lot, since our data survey grade, we do a lot of hardening programs and they vary slightly, uh, between industries. So power utility has, uh, pole loading and wind speeds. Um, telecom has something similar for the, the uh, communications towers. Um, rail has something slightly different as far as hardening. But as we, you know, as, as we see the weather uh, specifically and some of the challenges that we have on a, a climate level are, are really threatening our national infrastructure. And with the data and analytics that we have, we're able to plan and harden. So as the weather increases, as our wind increases, as we have more freezes hanging on our, our power lines, uh, we actually construct an engineer to be able to withstand uh, really more drastic weather. That is a huge uh, vertical that we offer to most of our, our, our industry. So hardening programs are very big as well. So let me ask you, because one thing you, I, I, I love the characterization of that um, you have um, companies that are um, tech savvy mm -hmm. or they are, did you say tech hungry or data hungry or tech hungry? Yeah. Really? It's, yeah. Um, and so let me just ask you, because you haven't, you mentioned pipelines, but I wonder if you have a thought on which is kind of the midstream oil and gas uh, industry. Do you have any thoughts on perhaps opportunities that um, that exist that for uh, you know more of the maybe the refineries, more of the downstream or even upstream oil and gas space, um, where there's like bigger opportunities that maybe the industry quite hasn't quite gotten there to leveraging some of this technology to helping them. You have any thoughts on that? You know, we've spoken to um, a few leading experts in the industry on that. And we've, we've done work as far as um, tanks um, inspection. We can, we can quickly tell you how much oil is in a tank versus how much water um, just by wow. doing a quick, yeah, quick, uh, a quick um, flight plan around the uh, around the tank. So there are um, applications. To be quite honest, we really focus on on power utility. Um, but that being said, um, we we are working very closely with NextEra Energy, um, and we've been dealing with their oil and gas uh, business unit. We've been dealing with their renewables uh, business units. So. As far as you know, where where along the stream we see added benefit, that really comes from from the end case, right? The business units themselves. I can tell you this: we, you know, we 
we were approached by um, Nexar Energy's solar unit and their wind plants. And we were able to, um, I can't talk about that actually. <laughs> okay, all right. I can't. Um, I'm not too in the know with, with true oil and gas industry. Okay. okay. So, so, so at least at this point in time, uh, for the services that, that you offer, they may be in that second, uh, second category of, uh, tech hungry, but yes. you aren't seeing, uh, a great pull yet for leveraging a lot of the, uh, the, uh, capabilities that you guys offer. Well, and, and that's where, you know, Darius comes into play. Um, typically the, the larger companies will know what they need as far as their data, you know, revolution, and they'll have the team internally where they lack is that they either have to pay a whole bunch of different vendors, uh, to collect data at different, uh, standardizations, um, or it's not survey grade. So, so as far as being able to start working with data to figure out those, um, you know, those applications, Darius makes that data available. So it's the, it's the starting point. It might not be the end point yet um, for specific industries, but it's definitely the starting point. And we've made the architecture of Darius to be uh, multi-tenant, but also semi-open source when it comes to algorithms. Um, so academia and uh, specific industries um, are given licenses to be able to work with data to formulate their own um, models and algorithms. Okay. And they make those models and algorithms open source. And I have seen quite a few uh, oil and gas focused work. Um, I think it's I think oil and gas is is still an early adoption of of really, you know, geospatial enabled digital twins. Okay. Okay. A lot of, a lot of, still a lot of runway left there. If somebody wants to get, get started. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I, I'm just, I just don't know. Right. Cause we focus on, on really linear assets. So what I can tell you about uh, gas pipeline and, and fuel specific on the, the delivery side, um, our LIDAR has proven to be able to, um, clearly show where there's a leak underground um, because of the movement of the earth. And when we talk about survey grade, uh, our data is usually about two centimeters or less accurate. So when there's a two centimeter shift over multiple collects, that's a red flag for us. The ground doesn't move that much naturally. Uh, and that's a red flag. We use a couple of other key indicators to, um, to prove that out. Uh, another sensor we collect is called near infrared and it shows health vegetation and, um, we can, we can very clearly see where there is a leak, uh, because there are dying trees in a very specific area where there's no other dying trees. Right. So there's, there's definite use case as far as, uh, subterranean, um, leaks for linear pipeline. Yeah. Those eyes in the sky are, can be very helpful, I would, I would imagine. Most of the pipeline work is manned? Mm, yes. So, um, so again, this is where that overlap with the, the FAA comes yeah. into play. Yeah. Um, 
so the FAA, uh, you know, is taking their normal approach of a crawl, walk, run yeah. uh, approach. So in, you know, in the next two to three years, we will start to see uh, longer linear flights being able to be uh, completed by unmanned aircraft. But for the time being, um, it's just much more effective to use a manned aircraft. Right. And there's really no negative. I mean, other to, to the, the crew sitting in the aircraft. Um, most of them really prefer to be in the air anyway than on right. the ground. Yeah. Um, th that's, that's really the only higher risk okay. uh, to a man versus unmanned. Yeah. And I realize that there's some proprietary um, stuff here. So um, mm -hmm. please just say uh, what you're comfortable saying. Sure. But I was really fascinated in a previous conversation when you talked about your sensor pods. And so yes. what I took away from that as a layman is that um, the services and the products that you provide, they aren't just coming from a, um, a widget, a thing, a technology that you grab off the shelf and stick it on the bottom of a plane. Um, uh, so can you talk just a little bit, whatever you can say about your sensor pods? Sure. Um, well, the, the data insights are only as great as the data collection. And we, we take that to heart. Um, and that has really forced us to create our sensor pods. Um, they are proprietary um, and, you know, FAA uh, approved. And they allow us to not only carry up to seven sensors um, at any one time, um, but they, they also allow us to be able to control some of the most important aspects of data quality. And I'm not going to get too much into it, okay. but they really are the reason why our data quality is so high. So um, yeah, we, we say survey grade and people can hear it, but what that really means is that engineers sitting at their desk can design and get stamped and approved engineering plans without ever having to go to the site. And that to us is, is just a game changer. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's, we take that very, very much to heart. Um, and we've put a lot of years into developing our pods. Um, our pods also are self-contained so we can ship them around the nation. We can ship them around the world. Um, a quick, you know, a calibration flight just to, to really tie in the accuracy again. And we're off. So, so when we talk about being able to uh, fly the nation, um, we've made a few strategic moves to be able to do that at scale um, because data is great, but data is only useful when it's refreshed, right? It needs to be timely. It needs to be not just one time. It needs to be multiple times. Yeah. And um, yeah, our, our pods allow LiDAR, uh, 150 megapixel RGB, which is your visual camera, 150 megapixel near infrared, which is what we don't see, uh, like health vegetation, thermal sensors. Um, and we also carry a 4G, 5G LTE uh, antennas. And that allows us to map where there's existing uh, communications coverage and where there's not. Yeah. So for a use case for that, as we bring in our census tabular data, as we see how humans are moving throughout the country, 
Um, and we see where humans are moving, where there's not enough connectivity, but we already see that the power company has the ability to provide that connectivity. We can start to fill in the gaps, right, to make human life uh, a little more comfortable. That is that is the end goal. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Well, listen, um, this has been really fascinating to hear. And like I said, it was a little bit of a bonus to hear a little bit about, uh, you know, your efforts and and the services and the data that you provided, um, you know, kind of response post Ian. So yeah, Hadley, it's been a real pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much uh, for uh, kind of enlightening us. And, and I thought you did a great job of um, talking about the technology in a way that most of us can understand. Um, but it still sounds uh, very technical. And, uh, and so I'm also, you know, good for you guys. And I realize that, you know, you didn't probably have a choice because people have to be able to consume the data and make sense out of it. But yeah, because Darius is relatively new. Yes, Darius is, um, we call it our newest kid. Um, we are actually in an innovation hub uh, with NextEra Energy. And Darius has formed out of the problems we've seen um, with large industries, medium-sized industry, and small industry uh, adopting big data into their operations. Okay. Um, and, you know, just like Google Earth made satellite imagery free and accessible, it almost made it a right to the, you know, the human population to be able to look at their home from Google Earth. We feel the same for survey-grade data. Yeah. Our, our nation's infrastructure, our, our future, our planning for the future is all reliant on having good survey grade data to start with. And if everybody doesn't have access to that, we're going to have a lot of holes, you know, in our future planning. So our, our goal with Darius is to make that a right um, and to really help industries who aren't tech savvy, but are, are tech hungry to be able to make sense of, of those insights, to run the analytics, but most importantly, to be able to deploy that, um, you know, and and actually put into work what we need to to plan for our future. So that that's really where Darius comes from. It actually stands for Data and Analytics Resource for Infrastructure of the United States. So it's an acronym. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, but we just like Darius. You know, he's he's a good guy. He's a yeah. Good guy. <laughs> sounds, like sounds like it. That's that's and I I love the acronym. Yes, I thought yeah. it was somebody's son's name or something. <laughs> no, it's it's what we all need, a huge data store of extremely accurate and high resolution data on a timely basis. Yep. Um, and then, you know, just everybody way smarter than me who works with the data and <laughs> creates these algorithms to be able to have access to it. Excellent. Well, thank you yeah. again so much, Hadley, for being here. And um, so with that, I think we'll wrap up this episode. And again, I want to say thank you uh, very much to HPE um, for sponsoring this. And like I said, go take a look at hpe.com. And also, I have another request for you. In the show notes for this episode, um, there is a link to a one-question survey. Uh, it's about 10 seconds is all, but I'd really appreciate it if you would go into the show notes, click on that link, and go take that 10-second survey for me. It would be, uh, we're gathering some data. <laughs> Probably a, a, a lot simpler than what Hadley deals with, but we are, we are gathering some data. So thank you again, Hadley, 
Uh, thank you again, HPE. Thank you to all of the listeners. And until next time, uh, we will uh, we'll, we'll talk to you then. Bye. Thanks, Joanne. Come back next week for another venture into the real world of the best digital doers in the oil and gas industry. A production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.